Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. If we can, I, I think we've, we've gone over verse 1 quite a few times, but just to give you context, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And that's the point. There's period after that. That's an entire sentence. God wants us to live above sin, and it's possible to. Otherwise, God wouldn't challenge us to that. He says, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice or the atonement for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Uh, Last week, I I, I spoke from verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. We talked about how this is, uh, some people see this as a harsh passage, but honestly, it's not harsh, it's just accurate. Uh, It's a a thermometer, Uh, and you want an accurate thermometer. (laughs) Otherwise, you're going to go off of your feelings, which some days will say that you are really spiritual, and other days will say that you are just the worst thing in the world. And God doesn't flip-flop like that. God's thermometer is always accurate. This is the thermometer. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God, some translations say love of God, is truly made complete in them. And that's the goal. This is the goal. Wherever you're at in the spectrum, if you are not obeying his commands, if you're obeying some of his commands and not others, if you are obeying all of his commands, the goal is that the love of God would be perfected inside of your heart. Whoever claims to live in him must live just as Jesus did. Now that sentence is is an incredible thermometer. Whoever claims to live in him must live just as Jesus did. But now the following verses today, I want... I want to note a shift. Uh, John says, he begins this verse with, dear friends. Previously, he began those verses with, my dear children, because he was speaking as a spiritual father. John is the final living uh, disciple. Uh, He was the last person on earth at this point who had actually walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. So he was an elder statesman of the church, and he had that authority to say, my dear children, because he was a type of father to the entire church of that day. And yet now he's... It's almost like he's coming on to a different level. Now he's saying, dear friends. In other words, a father is somebody who stands above you in order to help you and admonish you and raise you up. But a friend is someone who stands beside you, who's dealing with very similar issues as you are. And, And so he says, now he says, my dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. What is that? Well, the old command, the message they have heard, is from the Old Testament. Um, The primary, Jesus said in the Gospels that all of the Old Testament could be wrapped up in two commands. One, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And two, love your neighbor as yourself. And we know that that's particularly the neighbor, loving your neighbor, is the part that John is talking about. Because in 1 John chapter 3, he references that. He says, this is the old command that you ought to love one another. 
And so this is the command, the old command that he's writing. And it's really good that he's doing that because uh, if, if, if you just read the previous verse, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, you might get the idea that in order to actually be a Christian, you have to do everything Jesus did. You have to walk on water. You have to raise people from the dead. <laughs> it's like, well, I've never done that. But John is saying, no, no, I'm not talking about living in Jesus's power, although that is available to us. But that is not the command. That is not the thermometer, right? It's not, that's not the thermometer. Like, have you raised anyone from the dead? Have you healed any blind eyes? Well, no, I haven't. Then you're not a real, you don't have real faith. That's not the thermometer. The thermometer here is love. The thermometer is love. The question is, do you have love for other people? Do you have love for others? And so he's, he's, he's zoning in, he's zeroing in on exactly what he means by living just as Jesus did. He's like, well, specifically, I'm talking about the love that Jesus loved with. Because, you know, people can get all kind of religious ways in this. We can get very charismatic and it's like, well, we have to be able to cast out demons. We have to be able to do everything that he did. And it's true. He said we would do greater works than he did. So that's available, but that's not the command. Also, also, you know, I, I know folks have taken a vow to poverty because Jesus was also homeless. Jesus didn't have a home. He laid aside all of those things. And so some people feel like, like they have to lay aside everything and, you know, and do the whole uh, Francis Chan thing, right? Because like, if I'm not in China uh, giving up everything and laying my life down for smuggling Bibles, then I'm not a real Christian. And the idea, but the truth is, the, 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 the thermometer for all of us, the thing which tells us whether or not we know him, is our love for others. Whether we are lawyers in Austin, or whether we are homeless people in China, or whether we, God calls us to do that. Some, some, sometimes we get, I don't know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like ministry, uh, it's like ministry donuts, you know, it's like, man, like, yeah, that's what it's all about. And if I'm not doing that, my life doesn't mean much. If I'm not, you know, just laying it all out, all out for the gospel, then my li- I'm not really a real Christian. Well, that's not true. You don't have to do this extreme version of Christianity. Why don't you just do what he said and that's love others? Sometimes it's easier, I guess, to think of ourselves as extremism and extremist, but really he just wants us to love. That is the thermometer. And he's telling us, look, he says, this isn't a new command. I'm not writing a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you've heard, but I am writing a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. I'm going to get into that second verse here in a minute because it seems kind of like a contradiction. It's really not. He's, he's just, he's, he has a new version of an old command, all right? And so as I've been studying First um, John, one of the things I've been talking to you all about uh, at various times is the importance of understanding why John is writing this letter. He's writing this letter to all the churches that were around at that time, but the reason for his writing is that there had crept into the church false doctrines, primarily the false doctrine of Gnosticism. So first century Gnosticism was gaining in popularity and people were were falling prey to the false doctrine of Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism had two wings to it. All right, so on the one side, you had people who, who held on to Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, by the way, means knowledge-ism. Gnosis 
is the word for knowledge. You might have heard of hypnosis or hyper-knowledge or greater knowledge. Well, yeah, gnosis is the word for knowledge or to know. So actually, it would be better understood, instead of Gnosticism, knowledgeism. Let's just, let's just call it that, knowledgeism. There was this great knowledgeism that had crept into the church, and essentially the idea went something like this. There, is, there are secret things that if, if you know and if you understand these things, everything else makes sense. There are secret keys that you can attain and you can understand. And once you have this great revelation, this secret revelation, then everything else lines up. But there were two sides to Gnosticism. On the one side, you had the sort of conservative side, um, the, the aesthetic side. So they said, look, there's this great knowledge. The great knowledge is that we need to understand the rules of the Old Testament. We need to, we need to keep the feast days. We need to, you know, uh, be a part of uh, celebrating those days. We need to stay, only eat things which are kosher. Basically, we all need to be circumcised. Like, we need to follow the law of the Old Testament. If we do that, then we will achieve this great life, this great thing that God has for us through the knowledge of learning more and more and more about Judaism. And then there was another side which seemed to be diametrically opposed to that side, which was more of the liberal sort of sinning side of things. The great knowledge for them was, it doesn't matter, you're always going to be stuck in sin. The sooner you realize that and understand that, that the only time you're going to be able to get away from sin is by dying. The sooner you just turn yourself over to that, the sooner you achieve great freedom and great revelation. But these are, these are two sides of the same coin. They seem opposed, but they're both under the same heading of knowledgeism. And as I've been studying knowledgeism, I realized that, man, that's exactly one, that's one of the things that I am dealing with as a pastor in 2021. That this, this letter could have been written to all of us because I'm constantly, it seems, talking to people and pastoring people and counseling people away from knowledgeism and into love. It seems like, because I think a lot of people, they hear about Gnosticism, they're like, why would anybody believe that? That's not very attractive. But what I have seen is there is still a great allurement to knowledgeism. There's a great draw to knowledgeism. If you don't believe me, just do a, a search on YouTube for knowledge or secrets or end-time prophecies or uh, the election fraud or Pizzagate or like, I mean, just doing it and you will find, I don't know, am I the only one that's like checked out a few of those videos, like conspiracy theory videos? Three of us are honest, the rest of you are liars. I've seen you, I'm friends with you on Facebook, I've seen what's going on. You're like, ah, yeah, man, it's like, this is, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's so attractive. So today, uh, I guess, uh, to, to, to bring it to modern understanding, I want to take an ancient idea, which is knowledgeism, and I want to apply it to things we're dealing with today. Because what I've found is that people who get locked into conspiracy, conspiratorial theories, people get locked into those things, it starts affecting their peace, it starts affecting their joy, it starts affecting their relationship with God, and most of all, it starts affecting their love for others. As knowledgeism increases, love for others seems to decrease. And by knowledgeism, I mean an obsession with knowledge. If you've ever said, all I need to do is learn this, or I just need to figure this one thing out, then you are getting close to knowledgeism because you believe that knowledge will produce change in your life. I think Oprah said, if we know better, we do better. 
And that is a lie. I have kids. <laughs> I'm like, you know better. Why did you do that? I told you not to do look, look, knowledge does not produce love. Knowledge does not produce change. So I, I, I know awareness is a big thing right now, and many of us are hungry. And I grew up actually in a church that was in love with knowledge. Like, and, and I think that was, a, a, that, that was a stumbling block for many of us because we came to believe that if we could just know things, theological things, if we could just understand things, then suddenly, well, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, which, by the way, is quoted in like all of those conspiracy videos. Like every single one, the, the dude's an atheist and he's quoting Jesus. You should know the truth, the truth will set you free, right? Like who shot JFK? Like, okay, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He didn't say you shall know a truth and that truth will set you free. He said you shall know the truth. And in the same book, he also said, I am the way, I am the truth. So it was not knowledge of a secret, potentially uh, powerful, amazing truth. It was a knowing of Jesus. So as we know him, he does the setting free. There's no special knowledge that I can give you today. You're like, so let me see. The guy with the mic who's supposed to be teaching me something is telling me that he's not going to teach me something. Yes, pretty much that's, that's what I'm saying to you. If anything, I want to unteach you some things. If anything, I want to unlearn you some things. Some, some, because I feel like we are creeping closer and closer to knowledgeism. And by the way, I'm a conservative and liberal knowledge. They, they all have their little conspiracy stuff. The, the, just, just like the two wings of Gnosticism that seem diametrically opposed, one eagle has given birth to a donkey and an elephant. And they seem diametrically opposed, but really they're within the same system and they come under the same false god called knowledge. <laughs> so so I'm not just here just to bash uh, conspiracy theories. I enjoy, I think there probably are conspiracies. I think anytime you have humanity with power, you have people who are conspiring to benefit themselves, for sure. But what I am concerned about is that we are in love with those knowledge that we are consuming more of that knowledge than we are the truth of who jesus is we're more concerned about that we're more in love with that we pursue that more than we pursue jesus and i'm just saying if that's if that's what's happening then you're borderline first century Gnosticism, because you're falling prey to knowledgeism, which by the way is a very old trick as freedom, as you might learn in freedom class, right? I think it was last week you guys did the, did the series of the problem Jesus came to solve. If you think it's sin, you're almost there, but not quite. Sin is a result of the problem Jesus came to solve. The problem Jesus came to solve is it happened in the Garden of Eden when the snake came to the woman and said, look, look at this tree. And the tree was a tree of knowledge. And he said, this tree will make you powerful. This tree will make you strong. This tree will fulfill you. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, the tree of knowledge. And so we plugged into the tree of knowledge. Ever since then, we've been hungering after knowledge. And the more knowledge we get, the less love for others we have. 
The more we love knowledge, the less love for others we have. That doesn't mean that you can't be smart. It doesn't mean you can't be educated. I think, I think you can. You can be educated and still love others. But you cannot be in love with education and still love others. You cannot be in love with knowledge and still have a love for others because eventually your love for knowledge, here's what will happen. A, what, a, a couple things I've noticed. One, conspiracy theories are very fantastic. Like they're never like mundane. It's never like, uh, let's, let's find out why Bernie was wearing those mittens. There's no conspiracy theory on that that I'm aware of. I don't know. Maybe there is. I don't know. Like, who, who knitted those mittens for him, right? It, it, no, it's always like, who shot JFK? Why did 9-11 happen? Uh, you know, it's like everybody's in on it. Like, that's, that's one of the things they always say. Everybody's in on it. It's, it's, it's world governments, and it's, it's big, big, big stuff, right? Like, it's huge. It's, 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 it's cataclysmic. And, and, and you're like, wow, this is, this is really important. And so it kind of draws you in because it's entertaining because you know like Bernie's mittens are kind of boring I was bored after the first meme I was like what okay okay <laughs> poor guy got robbed but okay you know the Democratic Party won't let him go very far but right, I mean I understand he's sitting there a little ugly about it but it's all good like he, that's just his face that's just what he always looks like I mean I don't know I don't he's cold exactly Give the guy a break. But anyway, so I mean, I don't really understand. But, but, with, but with like big stuff, it's like, oh, I can understand, right? Because I mean, you got skull and crossbones and you got like a deep state, which is like underneath the other state. These people are literally like living underground. Like that's pretty crazy. Like, you know, and somehow they still like, I don't know how that works. Do they have McDonald's down there? I'm not sure what's going on, but like, there's like this, wow, like this is affecting everything and everybody. And there's like crazy people in Hollywood who are doing stuff to kids and trafficking. It's like, oh my gosh, this is really bizarre. And it's, and, and, and what will happen, you watch those videos, there'll be 50 facts like 50 facts that all point to something, right? And it's like, this happened, and then that happened, and that, and, and this means that, and, and Aleister Crowley, you know, helped found modern rock and roll, and there's 666 here and there. It's like, and they start, like, tying it all in. I mean, like, you're going to find out who killed, like, uh, Abraham Lincoln, right? You know, who took out Superman? Like, they're going to answer, they're going to answer all of life's questions, in like this 45-minute video. And it's like, wow, this is crazy, man. Like, well, okay, like, let's check this out. It's always fantastic, which is the exact opposite of Jesus. Jesus is so simple. He's so simple. He said, he said in John, uh, which is also written by John, in John chapter 13, if we have that passage, I think it's verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, and it's not a command to go learn a lot, a new command I give you, and he said, love one another as I have loved you, so also love one another. There's no deep spiritual truth here. There's no mind-blowing um, cosmic revelation. Jesus is simple, but difficult. And I think that's one of the reasons why we love things which are really complicated. Because honestly, it's so complicated, literally we don't know what to do after we receive the knowledge. But with Jesus, it's very actionable. He gives us very simple commands that are very actionable. 
What I've found is with conspiracy theories, there's like you get a mile worth of information for an inch worth of progress. Like you just learn 45 minutes worth of crazy stuff. And what can I do about it? Well, share the video and watch the next one. All right. Taking an inch forward. Taking an inch forward. Like and subscribe. Mash that button. Don't just click it. Mash it. You got to mash it. And it's like, what do I do with this? except feel anxious, except feel fearful. And I'm not just talking about conspiracy theories on the secular level. There's, we, get, we fall into this stuff in the church. What is God saying? What's the word from the Lord? What's the new prophecy, right? Who's the antichrist? What's the, what's the is, is the vaccine, is that the mark of the beast? Is that really gonna put some chip in my arm or something? You know, I'm not gonna take that. I don't wanna be the mark of the beast. It, it is crazy. It is, it, I mean, even this past summer, I don't know if you guys watched uh, Pastor Cloverton. He had like a prophetic dream. He said it was a prophetic dream. And he said like, all this stuff's gonna go down in November. It's gonna be crazy, hyperinflation, like uh, foreign governments are gonna be guarding the streets of, of Washington, D.C. None of it happened. That's called a false prophet. People who prophesy things that don't come to pass are false prophets. And yet now he has a YouTube channel and he's taking collections to get more knowledge. For People can get more knowledge. Man, it's, it's, it's knowledge-ism. It's a trap. And I'm not saying there aren't real prophets and that God doesn't speak to real prophets. But you never clamor after the prophet. You're never, you're never like, well, what does the prophet have to say? What does my pastor have to say? What's the word for the year from the Lord? I, I, need to, I need to, if I could just have this knowledge, then suddenly I'll be able to obey God. No, knowledge does not produce love. It just doesn't. And what happened to people who watched his videos? They stocked up on MREs. <laughs> and gold bunions, you know, or billions or whatever those things are called, like the blocks of gold. Like they were, they're already like for the, for the apocalypse. And now luckily I think the MREs last 30 years, but now they got to be snacking on the nasty stuff for the next 30 years. It's like, man, well, well, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, good. But this is the problem with knowledge. Knowledge, it increases pride and selfishness. I don't know that of that many people who st stocked up on MREs in order to give to their neighbors. And all the prepper videos, maybe you guys haven't watched those. Anyway, the prepper videos, it's never about loving your neighbor. There's no, like you're suspicious of your neighbor. You know what I'm saying? Like you got your nine millimeter, you got your Glock, you got your, like we're gonna guard my stuff and get my neighbor. Like, it's like, well, what, Jesus said love one another. If it's the apocalypse or not. If there's hyperinflation or not, like how, how is this compatible with Christianity? How is this selfishness compatible? It's not. It's knowledgeism. And knowledge puffs up, but love humbles. Love brings humility. You cannot, you cannot be judgmental towards somebody and love them the way that God calls us to love at the same time. It, but knowledge lends itself to critical spirits and judgmental spirits because, and, and this is what happens. You watch those videos. I know I'm bashing the videos a lot, but, but some of you need to be set free from these videos because you watch them and, 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 and they'll say things like, well, those that aren't in the know, this is on the right and the left. You got the woke over here and the, there were the people in the know. It's like those that aren't woke, those that, they're sheeple, right? 
Like they're just, those poor people are just waking up in the morning, going to work, coming home, taking care of their kids, playing with their kids, going to Walmart, getting some groceries, coming back, eating dinner, loving their wife, going back to bed, waking up, doing the same thing again. Those poor people, they don't even know that Google is using them as lab rats, right? Those poor people, those poor sheeple. It's like, what? Are they loving people? Because Jesus calls us sheep, so I guess I am a sheep. I mean, sheeple sounds more like a steeple, which I think is a little strange. I think you should call them peeps if you're going to, like, mash the words and just try to be cool in the 90s anyway. That's, that's how we used to roll. We're, that's, that's, that's my peeps, you know what I'm saying? That's my peeps. Instead of, anyway, I mean, just change it up. I don't know. Change it, change, change it up. Sammy Sosa style. Change it up, Sammy Sosa style. Uh, <laughs> that's not the word of the Lord. I'm sorry. That's not preaching. That's just silliness. That's just silliness. Um, it's silly. But, but honestly, some of this stuff, you, you have the people who are in the know, the people are woke, looking down on everybody else. It's so hard to be a lover of knowledge and have empathy in your heart at the same time. Because those people don't know what you know. And I grew up in a church. We were lovers of knowledge. Let me tell you, all the churches around us, they didn't know theology like we knew it. They didn't know the Bible like we knew it. I mean, they knew like the English Bible, but they didn't know the Greek Bible. They didn't know the Hebrew. They weren't aware of stuff because they, because they, just, they just weren't, they, they, they didn't have the knowledge that we had. And knowledge tends to puff up. I'm not saying it's bad, but, it's, but you cannot be in love with it. If you're seeking it, if that's what's driving you, if that's what's waking you up in the morning. Let me tell you, if you're living in fear that you will be deceived, <laughs> if you're living in fear of deception or fear of being wrong about something, you might be a subscriber of knowledgeism. Because knowledgeism, the greatest thing that could go wrong in your life is for you not to know something. And so you live in fear and bondage of being deceived or not knowing. All the time, you're like, do I, do I really know? Do, do I really know that, that that's going to... Do I read the Bible, but is it really right? Do I really know everything? <laughs> Can I just free you from that? No, you don't. You are wrong on a great many things. <laughs> you are off. I am off. All of us are off on a great many things. And yet, and yet, and yet Jesus loves us. And yet Jesus walks with us. And yet Jesus uses us. People who are off on things, who don't know things, who are ignorant of things. Jesus uses them, loves them, died for them. I was wearing my face mask this week. People are worth it. I was getting my car inspected and like the bottom part was kind of under my chin. And she's like, people are... And I'm like, yeah, I said, people are a lot of things. <laughs> but at our church, we believe that in spite of everything people are, people are still worth it because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. He raised the value of people to the level of, the, of a wounded God. He raised the value of people. And so they are a lot of things. But let, let me tell you, the difference between a critical spirit and bringing correction is very different. So Jesus says in John 13, and, I, and I'm getting ready to close, because this is how we know how to love. I can tell you how not to love. I can tell you, I, I, I could probably write a book, and I don't know, maybe someday we will, about the dangers of knowledgeism. 
because honestly, you know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It pulls you in. But what happens is it's also mysterious. There's a great mystery to it. In other words, they'll give you 50 facts that point to something. It's like an upside down pyramid. It's all coming down to this great, this great point. And then they don't have a great point because they're, they're, there's, 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 there's a missing link. Right, like somebody needs to talk about skull and crossbones. We need to figure out what's going on there and here and, and Pizza Gate and you know, and it's like all this stuff. There's always like a missing, like there's this mystery. So you get all this information and yet you can't do anything with it because there's a critical piece that's missing. It's mysterious. And I think as humans we enjoy mystery because mystery does not include accountability. If if we can just say, ah, I'm, I'm praying about it. I'm praying about whether I should smoke weed or not. Just asking the Lord, you know. Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Should I get drunk? Well, the Bible says not to get drunk, but I don't really know when I'm drunk or when I'm not drunk. I've had a few drinks. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray, and maybe God will tell me when I've had enough to drink. Because, of course, you can hear him when you're tipsy. Naturally. But we love the mystery of it. We love that. It's like, ah, it's very individual. I feel this and I sense that. And, and I'm just, and we don't do well with thermometers that say, if you don't walk as Jesus walked, then you are not, uh, you're not telling the truth. You're a liar. The truth isn't in you. We do, we, 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 we like mystery because it doesn't include accountability. But scripture is very, very simple and very plain. And that's actually what John says here. He says this, this new command, I'm writing to you a new command. It's truth. The word truth there means that which is revealed or, or pulled out of the curtains. It's, it's known for all of us to see. It's not mysterious. God hasn't left us where we have to hum, you know, and cross our legs and, and meditate for three hours a day before he'll tell us what to do with our lives. No, it's very clear that we are to love one another. And, it's, and, and he says the truth is seen in him. It's seen in him. Now, what's he referring to? He's referring to John 13 where Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. That's why it's a new command. Because the old command was love one another as, as yourself. But now Jesus says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And so the revelation of the love of God is seen in the way that Jesus loved his disciples. And it's interesting, we, we, as preachers, we often preach about how Jesus loved others. You know, the woman at the well, um, people that he healed. But there's, there's, there's actually kind of strange, I'm trying to find examples of when Jesus loved his disciples. And yet he said it frequently, that he had loved them. And this is before he even went to the cross. He's not talking about going to the cross. He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. By the way, John 13, the context of John 13, it starts off with uh, the night before Jesus was betrayed. And that's the context. This is during the Last Supper. And he's about to go to the cross, but he says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And so how has he loved them at that time? Well, first off, he, he came to them and he called them. This is what agape does. Agape does not wait for people to come to us. Well, my, my light's always on. The coffee's always warm. My phone's always available. Well, yeah, but agape takes the first step. 
I'm ready to talk if they'll talk to me. No, agape takes the first step. Jesus didn't wait for his disciples to sign up for discipleship class. Jesus went to John. Jesus found John while John was mending his nets after having been out fishing. And Jesus said to John, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will, I will do something in your life. Jesus sought out John. And John says, if we're going to love people like he loved us, we're going to have to seek out people who need love. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful God didn't wait for me to come to him before he came to me, before his Holy Spirit started convicting me. He didn't wait for my light bulb to come on and say, oh, I really need him. No, he came to me. Just last night, I was telling Micah a story about when I was seven years old in a prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit just fell on me and I had a vision of Jesus. I didn't manufacture that. I wasn't asking for that. I hadn't fasted for 21 days. I was seven years old. I was playing Super Mario Brothers, the original, the original gamer. I was, I was an original OG gamer like that. That's how I roll. And I, I just wanted to go home and play Super Mario. But I, I, I felt like into this sleep where I had this vision of Jesus. And he, Jesus did that. God did that. God found me wanting to play video games and spoke to me and said, I want to live at peace with you. I want you to follow me. I have a plan for your life. God did that. And everybody who's in this room, you're in this room because God found you where you were, not because God waited for you to clean yourself up or start desiring him or want to change your life. No, he drew us. He called us. And he looks at his disciples and he says, I want you to love others the way I've loved you, which is a proactive love, which is not a waiting to respond to people love, but a proactive love. This is, and sometimes it's easier, I guess, in, in, in larger contexts. Like we are proactive in, in the way that we feed people, keep kids fed. We're proactive in the way that we go to the homeless and right where they are and drive up to them and minister to them. We're, as a church, we're proactive. But a lot of times in our personal lives, when it comes to our marriages and our kids and our brothers and sisters, we are not proactive in that. We're like, well, if she wants to talk to me, she can just talk to me. And it's like, how is that love? How do you have more love for the homeless guy? No, you will know that you're his disciples if you have love for each other. People in the church, well, she needs to come apologize to me because she, no, it's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like this is love is to be proactive. Some of us, honestly, to, to, to love as Jesus loved, we got to walk out of this service and send a text message to somebody. And I don't mean start a fight. I mean, start a reconciliation. I'm sorry that you took that the wrong way. It's not an apology. <laughs> Jesus didn't walk up to John and be like, oh, you're a fisherman? Jeez, are you doing, are you wasting your life? Jesus didn't walk up to John and confront him. He walked up to John and invited him. Now, there was confronting to happen, and you'll see that. In fact, that's part of love. Part of love is correction. Jesus corrected his disciples, man, like he really did. The, the time when they are in the storm, right, they wake him up, and they're like, don't you care that we're dying? He wakes up, and he calms the storm, and then he corrects his disciples. He says, where is your faith? He loved them enough when they, when they were not doing what was right to help correct them. Criticism and correction are different. Criticism is what you're doing annoys me. What you're doing is wrong. Correction says where you're going 
is dangerous. It has to do with your course. It has to do with your path. And so Jesus looks at them, he says, man, you need to find faith in the middle of the storm. Because if you can't have faith in this storm, the storms that are coming, you're not going to be ready for those. He's preparing them. He's not judging them. That's what correction is. And many of us had horrible examples of correction from our, from our earthly parents. But you need to understand the correction of the Holy Spirit is gentle. It is kind. It is full of hope. It is full of grace. And it is full of a new direction for your life. And, if you, and, and this is how we ought to love each other. Love is not seeing somebody going off a cliff and just letting them go. I guess it's their decisions. I guess it's their life. I guess, and just acting like everything's fine. No, love will gently come in and say, have you thought about where this is going? Like, have you, have, have you thought about your course? Like, seriously, this, 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 isn't, this isn't what Scripture is teaching us. And so correction will come alongside each other. And our modern version of love is more of a sort of an affinity for like, I feel affection for you. But agape is not a feeling. Agape is a, is a, it, it has to do with priorities. In other words, I am prioritizing your spiritual health over whether you like me or not. Because oftentimes we call it love, and really we just want to be loved. Honestly, we just want people to like us. And it's selfish. Jesus wasn't looking for his disciples, a fan club. <laughs> he wasn't starting a, a Jehovah fan club. He, he, he was, he was directing people, and he was very clear in that direction. He was very loving in that correction, right? James and John actually came to him and was like, so one of us wants to sit on your right hand, and one of us sits, uh, sit, sit on your left hand. And Jesus is very clear. He says, you don't even know what you're asking for. There's this great cup that you'll have to drink of. And so he's like, you're not ready for it now, but you will be. I'll get you ready. And so the correction says, I'm going to walk with you through this process. I'm not just telling you what's wrong. I'm not just criticizing you because you don't know, right? Knowledgeism. I want to come alongside and live with you and love you and walk with you. And then finally, here in, in, in John 13, Jesus is sitting around eating with his disciples, and none, none of them have had their feet washed because to wash the feet was the role of a servant, and nobody apparently wanted to take that role. And so Jesus takes off his, under, his outer garments just down to his underwear because that's how you did it. And then he went and got a bowl and a towel and he began washing their feet. And it was after that that he said, a new command I give you, love each other as I have loved you. So honestly, the biggest thing about agape is servanthood, is to come and to be the servant of that person. So this is a question. Are you serving your spouse? Are you serving your children? Or are you expecting them to serve you? Are you serving your community? Or are you expecting them to serve you? Are you serving your government? Or are you expecting them? They work for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but, but to the one who wants to be in authority, it, that's, that, then, then that's what you're chasing after. And you go for it. But you will not achieve love that way. The only way to achieve love is by lowering yourself to a place of a servant and saying, I may not agree with you. My knowledge might be different than your knowledge, but we don't have to be parted because of knowledge. You might be more woke than me or I'm more woke than you, however that works. But we don't have to be in separate categories because, because love is the bridge, not more knowledge. 
Love is the connection between people, not more knowledge. Because I think a lot of times, I know as a, as a husband, if I could just give my wife more knowledge, <laughs> she wouldn't feel the things she's feeling. You know what I'm saying? Because she's feeling it because of lack of knowledge. So, I, I, you know, I mean, I am, I am giving her all kinds of knowledge. And I had to learn early on, that's not helpful. <laughs> Love is far more helpful. Empathy is far more impactful. Sensitivity is far more useful. And if we're going to have our joy restored, we must live with the joy of serving others. And there's wonderful ways that we can do that, of course, here in the church. There's ways you can do it if you want to be a part of Keep Kids Fed, right? We're feeding like 200 kids every, every weekend, and it's awesome. It was interesting when we first started that ministry, somebody came to me and they, and they said, so, so who are these kids that we're feeding? And I said, well, kids from our local, the local school where we were meeting and having church, they're all um, impoverished. The 82% of them are, are under the poverty level, 82% of the kids that went to that school. And so we decided to feed them. And they asked a very knowledgeism question. They said, well, well can't their parents feed them? See, this, this is what happens with knowledge. It's like, I need more knowledge before I can be obedient to that. Like, I need to know who's worthy of being fed. Make sure they did all due diligence and everything. They've got to che- pass my check. Start asking questions. The rich young ruler did this to Jesus. He came to Jesus, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what does the law say? And the rich young ruler passed the test because he loved knowledge. He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, great, you know that. Now go do that, and you will live eternally. You'll live. It's crazy. Jesus hadn't even died on the cross yet. And he says, go do that. Just follow those two commandments, and you will live. And the man says, oh, I have to do it? I, pa- I thought I passed the test. Like, studied for Sunday school for this. I knew the answer. What, I have to do something? And so because when he when faced with, with, with an ultimatum for action, what did he say? He said, well, let me ask a question. Let me ask a knowledge question about that. Who is my neighbor? Define that for me. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't define it. Jesus tells him a story. A story about a man who has been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. A story of a man who is in need. And about people very much like this rich young ruler who walked by that person in need and didn't do anything because they had other things to do and they had other knowledge uh, attached to their, to their day. And that knowledge pushed them away from love. Right? But there was a man who didn't have very much knowledge at all. He was a Samaritan. He had very little um, theological knowledge. Samaritans ascribed to a a different type of religion than Judaism. It was a mix, Judaism and foreign uh, uh, pagan ideology. So he didn't have the right theology. He wasn't in the right neighborhood. He he wasn't even the right ethnicity. (laughs) So we'll minister to people as long as they're a particular color. (laughs) No, like it doesn't matter. So, so this man kneels down and he begins to, to wash his wounds. He begins to take care of him. He begins to heal him. 
And Jesus said, which one was the neighbor? And the man said, the one who had compassion. And this is, I think, what God wants for us in 2021, to have compassion. Obviously, on our community, we do that in many ways. Uh, the, the Bolins are doing that in their apartment uh, complex. They had, um, I, I forget, I was looking, I, I get little, rep, little, little reports from them. They had 10 church invitations since July, and this is at the end of December. So for, because they started in July, they had 10 church invitations and two church connections. Like two people from their apartment came and visited City Chapel, which was awesome. They had six acts of uh, care. And within those six acts of care, like going and ministering to people in their apartment, they had 44 spiritual connections or conversations. So, they, so Apartment Life kind of keeps track of all that. They hosted 15 events with 32 um, volunteers were engaged. Um, I don't know if that counts it multiple times, like if Roe was counted every time she served, I'm not sure, but um, that's a way to love our neighbors. That's a way to love those who are around us. But you also have ways, but it has to come from a heart that is ready to love love and not knowledge. So get, get some knowledge if you want but it's not going to save you. If you do this, you will live. <laughs> if you act on this, you will live. You have compassion. So Father, I, I just pray right now for everybody here in this room, everybody online. Lord, for those of us that are being drawn into <laughs> knowledgeism, Lord, would you, just, would you convict us of that? Would you let us see it for what it is? Would you let us see how our empathy has seeped out? how our compassion has seeped out. How like the disciples, we can be in a room of people whose feet have not been cleaned, but we'll look around and expect somebody else to do that. We'll add knowledge to your command to love and not just love out of a pure heart. Lord, would you, would, would you convict us of that and correct, give a course correction to us. Certainly there's some entertainment and, and that's fine, but Lord, let it, let us not love it. Let us not fall in love with it. Let us not fall in love with knowledge or special knowledge or knowledge that somehow unlocks more things. Let us not fall for the lie of the enemy that the snake told the woman in the garden, this tree will make you powerful. This tree will make you fulfilled. This tree will make you like God. And that same snake whispered to Alice Crowley, and said, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, for the only God is man. <laughs> he hasn't changed his tune. He's spewing the same lies. And it's always about personal affirmation and personal growth and personal greatness, and never about loving others or loving God. Lord, let us not fall into that trap. Let us come humbly before you, and let us humbly serve each other without checking to see if they're worthy of our service. Let us humbly help each other, feed each other, clothe each other. Have mercy for each other. Yeah, the kind of mercy you had for us. You didn't say we had to sleep in the bed that we made. The gospel, the gospel is God rescuing us from the bed that we made. <laughs> You came to us in the midst of the horrible life we had created for ourselves, and you gave an escape. <laughs> ah, you trade beauty. You give beauty for ashes. 
We don't deserve this life. We don't deserve harmony in our home or peace. All the stuff we've said, all the stuff we've done, and all the stuff we wanted to do and would have done if we thought we could have got away with it and not gone to jail. Lord, we don't deserve that. It is your mercy that rescued us from the bed that we made, and you lifted us into a new place that your obedience and your faithfulness had made. You empower us to walk in that. <laughs> it's your mercy. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for seeking us. Thank you for saving us. <laughs> we love you, Jesus. We love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, we just love you. There's nothing like you. All the knowledge in the world. <laughs> All the knowledge in the world produces, a bucket load of knowledge produces a thimble full of confidence. But a thimble full of faith produces a bucket load of confidence. Faith requires no facts. Only the word of God. And so we do. We love you, Lord. We dedicate this year to you. We dedicate our plans to you. They're all in your hands. You direct. You guide. In Jesus' name we pray.